This uh, morning, I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 30, and we're going to read the whole psalm. You'll find that on page 461, if you're using um, one of the um, Pew Bibles. This is a a psalm in which David has uh, fallen into trouble and into deep distress. So now, if you will stand uh, as we want to show our reverence for God's Word this morning and listen carefully as God addresses us from these words from Psalm 30. A psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. You may be seated. Now, if you'll join me as we pray and ask the Lord's blessing uh, on the preaching of his word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in many different states, uh, some of us tired and some anxious, some who feel overwhelmed maybe by our own sin even or by what's happening in our own lives or in the world. And we pray that you would please fill us with good things this morning from your word. We pray that you would be with me, that I would preach it faithfully and boldly. I pray that you would open up the hearts of everyone here this morning, that they would receive exactly what you would have them receive from your word, that they would not be mere hearers, but that they would receive it in their heart, and that they would be doers of your word, that they would see the glories of Christ, even in this Old Testament text, that they would see and know the glories of his saving work for them, and that you would fill us all with the joy of salvation and send us out in the confidence and strength that we find in Christ. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I'm a student of history. I love to study 
as much uh, history as I can all across uh, world history. Um, I I probably try to do too much in in trying to master everything that's ever happened in the history of the world. And um, I'm, of course, not successful, but uh, I love to to do it. And one of the things I love to study about history is not just to learn facts. And in fact, I would say dates and facts and things uh, often don't interest me that much. You can always look those things up. Uh, What interests me in studying history is studying humanity. You know, they say that uh, history repeats itself. Um, I don't really think that's true, but what you do see when you study history is that people act in certain ways throughout history. Uh, There's certain patterns of human behavior, and there are also certain kinds of situations that people find themselves in um, that that, 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 that are recurring throughout history, the kinds of things that we face ourselves often. And one of the things that uh, is most striking to me in studying history is when someone has a a great fall, but then they are raised up from that. And I don't even mean a fall into sin uh, necessarily, but perhaps just a great calamity happens to them. Something, a disaster uh, comes into their life and they're brought very low. And then you see an amazing turnaround, a great reversal. One of the most striking that I've ever encountered is the story of Ulysses S. Grant. If you know anything about him, you'll know uh, this about him. He, he was an army officer who was discharged for drunkenness, and this is before the Civil War. Um, he, he had gotten pretty low. He was kicked out of the army for drunkenness. He had gotten to the point where even five or so years before the Civil War, he was selling firewood on the side of the road in a disheveled state. And people who had known him in the war would pass him by and they'd see him selling this wood because he was trying to find a way to take care of his family. And he was, he was failing. Uh, he, he essentially had gotten as low as you could, you could go in life, just about. Uh, things were not going well for him. And within five years or so, five or six years, he would be a lieutenant general in the army, which at that point in time was the highest rank in the U.S. Army. Um, and there were only, uh, at that point in time, there had only been, if I, if I remember correctly, two lieutenant generals in the U.S. Army prior to Ulysses S. Grant. Like, he was as low as you could go. And then within years, he had risen to command the Union Army in the Civil War and then a few years later to become president of the United States. In many ways, well, I would say almost in, in every way, he brought that disaster upon himself because he, he had given himself over uh, to, to alcohol and he had really brought himself low. And then he had this great rise. Now, Ulysses S. Grant, um, he, he, he really appreciated the morality of Scripture. Um, I don't have any reason to think that he was a particularly orthodox Christian. And so this is not a, an example that is exactly like what we see in Psalm 30. But it is this, this example of someone who was brought very low and then raised up to the heights. Well, we put that into a spiritual key in Psalm 30. And that's exactly what we see with David. David is brought very low, and he too is brought very low because of his own sin. His own actions bring him down to the pit. And then there is this great reversal. In the Lord's kindness, in the Lord's mercy and grace, he raises David back up. He brings him out of the pit that David has brought himself into. 
And that really is, uh, that is the key to this psalm this morning, is that David, because of his own sin, has brought himself about as low as you can go, and the Lord in his kindness raises him back up, brings him back up to a place of joy in his own salvation in the Lord. And I want to look at this text uh, this morning with you, really with this main idea in view, is that the Lord humbles us when we turn away from him in order to exalt us, to bring us to a point of repentance and to exalt us, to bring us back into the fullness of the joy of salvation in Christ. The Lord humbles us when we turn away from him in order to exalt us, to exalt us in the sense of bringing us back into the joy of our salvation in Christ. That is the main point of this psalm. And we see this unfold for us, I would say, in three main ways. First of all, God disciplines us in our pride. He does that, secondly, by hiding his face from us when we're turned away from him. And thirdly, he hides his face from us so that he could be glorified in restoring us, in bringing us back to himself in true repentance and faith. Well, what, what is the situation here with this psalm? Before we get into those three main points, I want to try to break down uh, what's going on in this psalm with you so we can, we can get a general sense of where this is coming from. This is a psalm, as the, the heading says, that is at the dedication of the temple. And uh, maybe you just glossed over that for a second, but um, that's an interesting thing to say, right? This is a psalm of David, and David uh, was not there to dedicate the temple. So why would we say that? Well, uh, most likely, and, and there's, there's debate about this, but most likely David, since he knew the temple was going to be built, and that was what he longed for more than anything, was that there would be a dwelling place for God, that God would no longer dwell in a tent, that there would be this wonderful dwelling place in Jerusalem. He had his heart set on that, but the Lord did not allow him to build it. Solomon, his son, instead would build the temple. And you can imagine David as a psalm writer preparing for that day and writing a psalm for the day of the dedication of the temple. And that's what he does here. It's a psalm about, as I've said, David being brought very low. Um, but we don't know what exactly was going on with David until we get to verses 6 and 7. So I'm actually going to begin there. I want to see what the, the, the very issue is. Because when you look at verses 1 to 3, he's praising God for bringing him up. But what is it that has brought David down? You see that in verses 6 and 7. David said in his prosperity, I shall never be moved. Interesting, I mean, God is the one who has blessed David in this way. God has made David prosperous. See that in verse 7. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. The Lord has showered his blessings upon David, and he has made him to stand strong in his, his kindness and in his grace. And yet, the response of David to that, that mercy from God and that blessing from God is actually to exalt himself. He says... I shall never be moved. He is resting in his own strength, his own goodness. He has, he has found his confidence, not in the Lord in this moment, when the Lord has, has given him this wonderful grace, but in himself. The very blessings that God has poured out in his life because of his own sin have actually been the, the, the means for him turning away from the Lord. Now, that's so ironic 
that the Lord would bless him. And yet, because of his sin, just as uh, this is so often the case with us, we would turn away from the Lord at those very moments when we have the greatest of worldly blessings from him. That is the, the depth of the sin in our hearts. So that, that's, David's, that's David's trouble here, is that he has exalted himself. He has become presumptuous, perhaps thinking that, of course God would bless me in this way. I, I'm such a righteous man. Who wouldn't uh, bless me? I, I deserve all of this. He, he, he's, he's found that in himself. And yet, at that very moment, God hides his face from David, and David says, I was dismayed. Then when we return to the beginning of the psalm, it makes sense what's going on here. David is near death, perhaps. He says, I have cried out to you, verse 2, and you healed me. Oh, Lord, you have brought my soul up from Sheol. Sheol, the language of the grave, that's, that's being near death. Something has happened to David. Something has come into his life that is very, very serious. Is it physical illness? Perhaps it is. Maybe even being brought to the point of, of almost dying. Even if it's not, you know those times in your life right, where you've been brought so low. Maybe it's not a sickness, but you've been brought so low that you feel near to death. You feel that you can't make it anymore. You, you've been brought so low, and, and, and it's so painful for you. Either way, David has been brought down to the pit. His soul has been brought almost to the grave, he says. And yet, he praises God because God didn't leave him there, verse 3. He's brought up his soul. He's restored David to life. David has a lot of trouble in his life right now. He even has these foes that are attacking him in verse 1. And God has protected him from those as well. He's not let them rejoice over him. And so what is the response for David? What, what should be the response in anyone's life when, when you experience a great deliverance from the Lord? Well, it's praise to our God. Verses 4 and 5, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. He's encouraging the people of God to praise the Lord for the deliverance that he received. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. What David is saying here is that this situation is not forever. The trouble that he has been brought down into did not last forever. Now, I imagine in the moment, as is so often the case for us, that it feels like the trouble that we've fallen into is going to last forever, that we've fallen into a pit and there's no way to be rescued out of that pit. It can be so overwhelming when you're experiencing trials in your life. Now, we have to remember, again, that David is experiencing these trials because of his sin. There are many wonderful texts in Scripture that give us comfort when we face trials that have nothing to do with our sin as well. This is different because David has sinned to bring himself into this situation. And so, repentance is at the heart of the exaltation for David here. God, in other words, was going to leave him in the pit until he was brought to repentance, just as he will do for us, brothers and sisters. When we turn away from him, he will leave us in the pit, and he does that for our own good, 
just as he did with David, because it would be the, the worst thing that could happen to David in this moment. When he has exalted himself like this, when he has said, I shall never be moved, for the Lord to just continue to shower these earthly blessings upon him, that, that would be the worst thing that could happen to David. That would be the worst thing for his soul because he would just continue to, to stand in his own confidence, to stand in his own strength, to stand in his own blessing that he's received, and to continue in that arrogance. God brought him low for his own good, and he's brought to the point of repentance. In verses 8 through 10, he, he praises God because God heard his cry. Well, what is that cry? It's the cry of a repentant heart. It's a plea for mercy. Forgive me, Lord, for exalting myself in this way. It's a cry for mercy and a cry for repentance. He even appeals to God's own glory here. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? It almost sounds like David's bargaining with God there. Right? That if you save me, if you deliver me, then I'll praise you and everyone will, will see this praise and they'll glorify you. I don't think it's, it's uh, quite like that. Uh, but he does appeal to the glory of God here to save him. And that is a much sounder foundation for us when we find ourselves in times of trouble than even our own situation. Right? Yes, we might have fallen into the pit ourselves. We might find ourselves near to despair in the pit. But the main reason that God acts to deliver us is not because we're in trouble. It's for his own glory. It's so that he would be seen to be the one who delivers us out of trouble. That is what we should appeal to because that is actually a, found, a, a firm foundation for God to act in our lives. It's not just that we're in trouble, but that God would receive the glory in delivering us. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, my helper. He prays for mercy. He has repented of his sin. And so he closes out this psalm, verses 11 and 12, um, continuing in this vein of praising the Lord, of telling all of God's people what God has done for him. You've turned my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. God has glorified David once again. He says that. He says, my glory that's what happened to David initially, right? David was glorified. He was exalted by the Lord. The Lord blessed him. He gave him much. And David uh, turned away from the Lord in that moment. He saw himself as self-sufficient. And he was brought low. And then God exalts David once again. But David has, has been brought to true repentance. You see that, don't you? Because now he's not exalting himself. Now he's not, uh, he's not saying, I shall never be moved He's not saying that I am strong in myself. No, he's saying the glory that you've given me, Lord, now I will use that to sing your praises, to, to magnify your grace, to magnify your glory to all of God's people and throughout all the world. That is the situation in this psalm. That is what has happened to David. Um, and, and the main point, again, is that David has been brought very low in his sin, in his self-exaltation. 
so that he will be brought to repentance. So that then God will be glorified in lifting him up from the pit. But I want to look now more specifically at applications of this text to our lives. That's David, but this is a text that is extremely relevant for us. This is something that we're all going to face, I think, at various points in our lives. And I would, um, I would um, suggest that uh, you this morning, uh, in different ways, are, are going to be dealing with this. Now, some of you might be actually exalting yourself in this very way. Some of you, it might not be at that point yet. But there's always something here for us. We don't want to get to that point, do we? We don't want to get to the point where we have to be brought very low in order to be brought back up into the fellowship of the Lord and, and to the joy of our salvation. So this isn't just a word for those who've already fallen into the pit. This is a word for those who uh, want to be near to the Lord without having to go through that misery, as David did. So first of all, I would just say this. Uh, th- this shows us the, the danger of prosperity, shows us the danger even of earthly blessings, the danger of worldly things. But this is a theme that recurs throughout the Scriptures, is that when God's people are blessed with earthly blessings, they need to be very, very careful. They need to be very careful. We see this throughout Israel's history, don't we? Uh, Deuteronomy 31, 15, uh, Jeshurun, which is Israel, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation, describing Israel as a fattened calf. Right? They've grown fat because they've been blessed by the Lord. They've received, they've been brought into the land. Right? They, they, they have all of these material blessings. And what happens? As soon as things are going well for Israel, it seems like almost every single time they turn away from the Lord and they begin to worship idols and they begin to, to rebel against God in their hearts. Almost every single time. That is a sin that is just at the heart of human nature is that when things are going well for us in an outward sense, we can be the most tempted to turn away from the Lord. And you understand why, don't you? Because it, it seems like um, you don't need him. You feel in those moments in your sin that you don't need the Lord anymore because you've got money, you've got a house, you've got cars, you've, you, you've gotten into the college you want, you, you've got the dream job. You've been promoted. Everything is going well for you. Well, watch out in those moments. Watch out. You know, even as I say that, I know that that's not the case for everyone. I know that um, some of you are going to be struggling right now. You know, you're, you're going to, not even because of your sin, to have been brought low for various reasons. Maybe it's you know, having lost a job or, or struggling in, in various other ways. So I know that it is not for everyone. But I can say confidently that no matter where you are right now, you must watch out for these times when you find yourself blessed by the Lord, even blessed with material things. Watch out that you don't fall into the pit just as David did. It's the same thing that we see our Savior warning his people, his disciples, over and over and over about the danger of riches the danger of earthly blessing is that it so easily turns our affections and our hearts away from Christ 
to the things of this world which are passing away. Secondly, uh, when David fell into the pit, as we've seen, the Lord hid his face. And that is the worst thing that could have happened to him. And if we don't recognize how devastating that is, I think that's just a sign uh, of how, um, uh, how easy it is for us to become so worldly-minded. Right? If the Lord hides his face and you think, well, that's, a, that's one thing, but things are still going pretty well for me in life, then you're already, you're already at that dangerous point that David stood at of exalting yourself, right? When the, the Lord hid his face, David says, I was dismayed because there is nothing greater than to, to, to bask in the, the joy of the Lord's face shining upon us. There is no greater treasure. There is nothing greater that we can have because that is salvation. To have the Lord's face shining upon you, to know that the Lord in Jesus Christ because he died for you and his blood, blood was shed for you, that the Lord loves you and delights in you and he beams uh, when he sees you and he sees you and he rejoices over you. you know, there is nothing greater than that. To have that taken away is the most devastating disaster that you can ever face. That is far worse for David than any material uh, things that he may have lost. And in fact, th- nothing is said here about David losing any of these material blessings, we don't really uh, see in the histories of Israel that there was ever any point that once David had been exalted to kingship that he somehow lost his possessions or that he lost his worldly treasure. That itself would not have been enough here. The Lord hides his face so that David will see his true condition. He'll see the misery of what it is to be alienated from God. And here I'm not saying that David loses his salvation, that he falls out of salvation, but in that moment, he is going to feel it. He's going to feel as if the Lord is not for him. He's going to feel as if the Lord doesn't delight in him, doesn't love him, hasn't forgiven him. That is what David would feel. That is what it means to have the Lord's face taken away from you, to not feel the Lord in in his grace and kindness shining upon you. And, and the Lord does that, not just to David, but he will do that to us, to each one of us, brothers and sisters. He will do that when we turn away from him, when we exalt ourselves, when we find our own self-sufficiency. He will do that, and he does that not because he hates us. He doesn't do that because um, he is eternally angry with us. He does that because he loves us. He does that out of his kindness and out of his mercy and his tender-hearted care for us. He does that because as long as we are exalting ourselves, as long as we are attached to earthly things, as long as we are turned away from him, we have nothing good. We have nothing good apart from him. And until we can see that, we will not be brought back, and we can't be brought back to the joy of our salvation. The Lord removes his face from us when we've turned away from him out of his kindness for his children. In the, in the Westminster Confession, there's a, there's a phrase about how um, the Lord uh, will remove the assurance of salvation, even for his saints, uh, when they begin to rebel against him. Um, it, it, it's for our own good, though. It's so that we will 
once again uh, repent of our sin and come back to our gracious Lord. It's a temporary removal of his face, though. All that David had to do was repent, come back to the Lord, and he would experience the joy of his salvation once again. And that's the same even now. If you are at that point where you find yourself drifting from the Lord, turning away from the Lord, uh, maybe just finding it that things are going so well for you that you don't really feel your need for him anymore, return to him today. Repent of that sin. See your need for him, and his face will shine upon you once again. I wonder if any of you feel that lack of the, the, the face of the Lord shining upon you. I wonder if you feel that, you, you feel anxious and you feel distant from the Lord and you don't know why, you don't know why it feels this way. Maybe it's because you need to examine your heart and see what's in it that might be turning you from the Lord, might keep, be keeping you from the Lord. Maybe you really are still delighting in the Lord. Maybe that's not you this morning. And again, I would just say, guard your heart because as Christ said, riches are deceitful. Riches and treasure and earthly things are deceitful. Thirdly, God humbles us. He brings us very low also out of his kindness and out of his grace and out of his love so that he might be glorified when he exalts us, when he raises us back up. And that is such a, a firm foundation for us when we think about uh, the saving work of the Lord for us is that uh, he doesn't save us merely because he sees us as being wretched and, and, and miserable. He saves us so that he can receive all the honor, all the glory, all the praise in lifting us back up when we repent and we come back to him. Well, this is a psalm of David but unless we can see this in light of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we haven't gone far enough. So I want to bring this to a close, just thinking about uh, some of the ways in which uh, we need to see this in, Lord, in light of the Lord's kindness to us in Christ, specifically uh, some of what Christ teaches and what we see in the New Testament about him. First of all, um, I, I thought of a text from Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, that seemed almost directly relevant to the situation in this psalm, and yet shows us the, the grace of Christ to keep us from getting to the point where David has, has fallen. And it's this, from Revelation chapter 3. This is the word to the church in Laodicea. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. And doesn't that sound exactly like David at that moment? I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing not realizing that you were wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And Christ is speaking those very words. But he doesn't leave them there. As he does in, in all those words in Revelation, he points them to the, the all-sufficient grace that we find in Christ alone to meet that very sin, to, to meet the need that we have if we've turned away from the Lord in that sin. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He says, return to me. 
Come back to me and you will find eternal treasure, the treasure of eternal life, the treasure that is incorruptible, unfading, unperishable, that, that can never be lost, that can never diminish in any way, to, to use Peter's words in 1 Peter, the treasure of eternal life which will never diminish, which will be uh, gr- more greatly enjoyed forever and ever. For every day that we move forward into eternity, we will enjoy the grace of Christ, seeing him face to face, having his face shine upon us uh, more and more and more. This is the gold that we should seek if we find ourselves in that point saying, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. The, the treasure of eternal life in Christ alone by repentance and faith in him. Or we learn even the, the very purposes of, of God's discipline. In Hebrews 12.10, he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. He disciplines us for our good. Keep that in mind, brothers and sisters. When you fall into trouble, especially if it's due to your own sin, he disciplines you for your own good. Because the worst thing that could ever happen to you is for the Lord to let you go and let you continue to walk in that path. Because then you are seeking earthly good and not finding eternal good in Christ. But also remember in these times that God's discipline is temporary. It is as needed, we read in Hebrews. It is only that which is necessary. God is the perfect physician of the soul. He will only put that medicine into your life, that discipline into your life that is exactly the dose that you need. No more and no less. Remember that in those times where you might feel tempted even to become bitter in the discipline that you're facing. The Lord is giving you the perfect dose of medicine for your soul so that you will find your joy and your hope only in Christ and not in the things of this world. And God does this, as we read in Ephesians 1, to the praise of his glorious grace. And that's why we have this word here. That's why we have heard this word this morning, is so that God would receive all glory, all honor, as we learn to humble ourselves, to repent when we find ourselves drifting away from the Lord and to come back to him, an all-sufficient Savior. So I would leave you this morning just simply with, with this word. If you do find yourself in that state this morning, if you do find yourself where you said, I need nothing, maybe you didn't even realize that. Maybe, maybe the Lord is using this very word to, to break through the hardness of your heart this morning, to see that you, you, you have come to that point where you don't feel your need for the Lord the way you should. Come back to Christ this very morning. Come back to him, and what will you find? You will be clothed, as David was in verse 11, with gladness, the gladness of true joy that you cannot find when you set your heart on earthly things, but only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even, as I've said, for those of you who are walking faithfully with the Lord and and you're not at that point where you've exalted yourself like that, I still say, be careful. Guard your heart. Realize how easy it is for us to turn away from the Lord in this very way. But remember our wonderful Savior 
There is no joy in this life. There is no cure for anxiety. There is no way to be lifted up out of the darkness and sadness of all the troubles that we face outside of Christ. Having a new car, a new house, um, a, a new job, getting into the college you want, getting the promotion you want, um, having uh, the, the, the perfect social circle, whatever it is, what are those things that we set our hearts on? I, I know I've left plenty of things out. We all have our own struggles. Those things are things that are passing away with this age. And you will not find joy in those things, brothers and sisters, only in the grace of Christ who gives us eternal life in him. Well, please pray with me. Our merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you now and ask that you would take this word and that you would implant it deep in our hearts, that you would turn us away from exalting ourselves and, and finding our own joy and strength in the blessings that you've given us rather than in Christ our Savior. I pray that you would give us repentance where we need it and that you would fill us with surpassing joy in Christ and in having his face shine upon us. I pray that we would leave here this morning with greater confidence in him, with joy in him, rejoicing that even though we so often turn from him, he brings us back to himself and fills us with the good things of eternal life. And we pray these things in and through Christ. Amen.